Hello and welcome back to Over the Top Football. I'm joined as ever with John. John, how are you, mate? Not too bad, Rob. Um, we've been humbled a little bit <laughs> but as an Liverpool fan since the last time we spoke, so we'll, we'll probably never mention the 7-0 again, as long as you don't mention the 1-0 to Bournemouth. Um, but you, you had a little bit of a better weekend than we did anyway. Yeah, but I mean, Tot- Tottenham at this point, you can kind of pick results out of a hat at this point. It's very 50-50. Um, I feel like we'd have to actually go on a five-game win run or something before the end of the season to finish top four. and I can't really see that happening. But let's go into our topic straight away um, because actually you've teed it up quite nicely. Uh, we're going to talk about embarrassing seasons. Now, obviously, this is with the caveat that these are professional footballers, professional teams. Um, they're embarrassing in the context of their their own performance rather than necessarily compared to the amateur divisions. But we've kind of looked at this topic as players, clubs, managers, maybe people in and around football. And we thought we'd mention a few kind of either hot topics or maybe ones that you haven't seen. Um, and yeah, it's, it's always good at this kind of stage with a few weeks left to kind of redeem themselves as well, to mention a, f- a few teams who it's not been going that well for and maybe kind of pick at a couple of the reasons why maybe provide some of the solutions. And I understand, John, your very first pick is Juventus. Yeah, we spoke about Juventus in quite a bit, bit of detail before, so we won't go into loads of depth on it. But for me, just a very bad season for Juventus. Not necessarily you know, points-wise. Obviously, they got hit with the 15-point deduction earlier in the season for financial irregularities and false accounting. The embarrassing bit for me is they just didn't learn from not following the rules in 2006 where they got relegated to Serie B. And they've got yet again hit with another substantial points impact that will have affected their final position in the league. So they're, they're currently sitting seventh in Syria. Without that points deduction, I believe they would be sitting second behind Napoli. Still a decent way, way behind Napoli, don't get me wrong, but they would be sitting second, which would be an improvement on previous seasons. But yeah, just bad season off the pitch. They haven't learned from their previous mistakes on the pitch, they fell well short of where they needed to be from a Champions League perspective, finishing the group third with just three points. And like I said, they just haven't really fully delivered to the Juventus standards on the pitch. But the results have improved since the points deduction because there's been a little bit of a decreased... Pressure. It's, it is less pressure. Yeah, decreased pressure, massively. And But, you know, it's still below the standards of Juventus. Juventus standards should be winning the league, getting to the knockout stages in the Champions League, winning a few cups, but they've just continued to fall below those standards, both at the top end of the football club with the running of the club, but also on the field. So I think another per season um, overall for Juventus this year. Yeah, hard, hard to not agree. I think you did make a good point, actually, that contextually, Certainly in terms of points one, they've actually had a slight improvement. Um, it did seem that things were slightly starting to click for Allegri. But yeah, they, they won't be happy. Juventus 
uh, have the most revenues in Syria app by a long, long shot. So if you're in that very fortunate position, it's like Man United not winning league um, every year. However, there's not really a super rich team in Syria kind of uh, modeling the accountancy. So, yeah, I, I would agree. Disappointing. And they'd certainly be uh, disappointed with signings like Pogba so far. Yeah, I believe he's injured once again. So I think he's been out for 33 games this season, I read. And he's now injured again. So they probably had him on the pitch for three to four games. And he's back where he belongs in the physio room. So don't know if we need to cover much more in Juventus. Like I've said, we've spoken about Juventus on other podcasts that people should have heard. If not, uh, please go back and listen. So probably tease it up nicely for your first choice, Rob. Yeah, it does. It's a club as well, actually. And this may be a surprise to some people. I've picked Barcelona. It's a surprise because they're top of La Liga. Uh, they're doing pretty well in the league. But actually, the league is set up for teams like Barcelona to win. Possession-based style, don't exert themselves too hard. And realistically, in the Spanish division, if it's not Real or Barcelona winning the league, it's a huge shock. But the reason I've put them is for two reasons. On the field, so they obviously spent big in the summer. I appreciate sides like Chelsea have kind of blown that out of the water recently. Um, but they, the board had them finishing in the last eight of the Champions League, that their spending was actually only sustainable if they managed that objective. Um, 45 million euros on a 33-year-old Lewandowski, freeze on high wages, including people like Marcus Alonso and Hector Bayerin. They spent well over 150 million in total. And to do that, they had deals where they sold some of their future TV licensing, sold some of their future merchandising. So gambling the future of the club really on immediate success, on really being able to kind of build the brand and compete in the here and now. And yeah, you can say that that didn't work. They um, obviously went out third in their Champions League group and then went, um, that was a probably the game of the season by the way the inter barcelona game i think it was 2-2 in the end so that was very disappointing obviously they then go out to man united in the round of 32 in the europa league obviously that is a hard tie but that is not where they'd have been expecting to finish in that uh they then didn't pay players properly they have disputes with the likes of frankie de jong um thankfully barcelona is a very nice place to live so he still wants to play for them and now the absolute worst of it all is that they have recent investigations about paying refs. Safe to say we don't have a lawyer here at OTTF. So I'm just going to read out exactly what they've been charged with. And again, it's charged, it's reported, Barcelona have the chance to appeal this. Um, but it indicts several individuals, including ex-presidents Russell and Bartomeu. They've been charged by prosecutors. Uh, for the crime of continued false administration and the crime of continued falsification of commercial documents. According to the prosecutor's office, they, the accused held positions of power in the club and were aware of payments which were invoiced annually from 2011 until June 2018 to two companies that Enrique Negreria, who has served as a CTA vice president from 93 to 2018, founded, which acted on behalf and in direct benefit to Barcelona. The CTA is the governing body responsible for deciding which referees and assistants officiate league and national competitive matches in Spain. Now, don't know about you, John, but that stinks. 
it doesn't sound very good. Doesn't sound very good at all. Um, I don't really know where Barcelona can go from that. It sounds as if the writing's on the wall in terms of potential fines and further lawsuits that will take attention away from the pitch, which is where they've thrown sort of all of their resources in terms of getting success on the pitch. And they've sold their soul with some of the commercial agreements that they put in place in order to provide a team to the manager that they expect to at least compete on all uh, in all competitions. You've said they've had a good season on the pitch within the league, which is true. But obviously, there'll be no European glory once again for Barcelona. But the biggest thing is the the fines and the regulation breaks and the significant impact that potentially their historical conversations and dealings with referees will have in the long term. Probably useful that we linked Juventus and uh, Barcelona together in the first two, and that you know we saw what happened in Juventus in two thousand six with those types of allegations and those regulation breaks, and they did get relegated. I mean, it sounds completely out of the question, but if something like that happened to Barcelona with the commercial agreements and the forfeits that they've made with you know image rights, with brand rights, with uh, stadium rename rights, could they, you know, in the words of the Tiger King, could they re- financially recover from those types of rule break you know, impacts that they would face? Yeah, do you know what? It's a very difficult one. I feel like, and Barcelona kind of know this as well, they're big enough to not go down. As I say, Syria A is a little different to um, to La Liga in that you've got both Milan clubs, Juve, Roma, Lazio. You've got a few good-sized clubs to still carry on the baton of the league, whereas in Spain... Um, yeah, you're really talking Atletico, Real and Barcelona. So it, it hurts everyone if Barcelona were to get relegated. But if it's as bad as it looks, I feel like you've got to give out a 30-point deduction, something like that, at least. Um, it's yeah. worth saying that Barcelona have actually said, and this was quite an interesting point, that they paid a, like a consultancy fee. So they were saying it's very standard practice, actually, to basically pay off like a referee company. Um, I'm assuming what they're saying. Yeah, I know it's bollocks. But um, (laughs) what I'm assuming they're saying is that they're trying to say that, yeah, basically it, it helps to have like a referee consultant because then they can have decisions explained to them or like, yeah, rules where they may get blown up for in the future which semi makes sense. But yeah, the fact that this was going on for so long and it's so much money, it's, um, I think it's a million pounds per season or something or 7 million minimum is the total. It's a lot of money. Yeah. It all sounds like a pile of nonsense. The only reason I, I bring it back to Juventus is the president has been set for what could be deemed match fixing. And the president was the, the biggest club in Italy. Um, that many would debate is the case but at that time and probably still since the biggest club in Italy got relegated so it'll be very very interesting to see what happens with Barcelona in the aftermath similar reasons we could have thrown Man City into this into this list but we haven't done and my next pick I actually went for a former Barcelona player a player that got a lot of headlines earlier in the season by moving to his former club's London rivals and also got in the press based on his appearances in All or Nothing, where he came across like a bit of an idiot himself. And my next pick is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. 
type of thing we've said it before if you're going to move to the rivals of your previous club you have to make sure that you're a success otherwise you come across like a bit of a dick and that's sort of what happened to Aubameyang in my opinion to the point where I, I believe they were trying to actively ship him out in the January transfer window it might get to the point where they try to release him on a free um, outside of the window and he might make a move to somewhere like the US or you know one of the Middle Eastern regions but it just hasn't worked we'll start with all or nothing you know we all saw the documentary if you haven't seen it go and watch it but he just came across like it like an idiot as I've already said it was very clear that Arteta did not want him in around the, the squad which fair play to him looks like it was exactly the right decision based on the success that Arsenal have had this season but he obviously got his move to Barcelona he performed for six months there and they made a decent sized value transfer to Chelsea as one of the top body signings and from there you know in the return to Arsenal came out with that whole BT advert where it was you know nothing personal and has then made it very impersonal by scoring one Premier League goal all season so Looks like a howler move. Looks like the end of his competitive footballing career, in my opinion. And we'll likely see him shipped off to somewhere where he'll make little impact in terms of hitting our TV screens on a weekly basis. Yeah, it's difficult with Aubameyang because he's one of those players who doesn't really impact the game if he doesn't score. And obviously his goal record was brilliant. Um, There was a time he was Premier League top goal scorer, I think maybe for two seasons at Arsenal. Uh, but yeah, he's he's not good enough holding up the ball. He's not really good enough dribbling with it or creating space for others. So yeah, he's very much going to be judged by his goals. And yeah, just hasn't clicked for him in uh, at Chelsea. I can't remember what the game was, but there was a game Potter brought him on, maybe subbed him off uh, at half time or something because he was just uh, yeah very very ineffectual. I haven't seen the Arsenal All or Nothing. I refuse to want to try and like that club. Um, so yes, I uh, I didn't watch it myself, even though the ending is actually quite good for Spurs fans, I guess. But yeah, uh, just just hasn't worked, and he's one of many many players you'd say that Chelsea probably have to get rid of in the summer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd say he's probably top of their list, and whether they wait till the summer to do it, um, I'm not one hundred percent certain. I think they might try to pull the trigger on that one before it gets to the tran- to the summer transfer window. Sorry. But you do need to go watch it. It it is on par probably with the Spurs one, but it's it's definitely better than the Man City one in my opinion. Nice. Okay. Well, we'll move on to our first manager of the list, and I have Scotty Parker. Um. Yeah. Very very clear reasoning for this. I'll just go over this very quickly. But he was sacked by Bournemouth um, earlier in the season after only four games this year after calling them ill-equipped uh, at the time, they did actually have, um, z- well, zero goals from open play, but they did actually sneak a 2-0 opening day win, I think, against Aston Villa, which put them 16th in the table at that time. Um, however, in those four games, it did include a 4-0 loss to Man City and a 9-0 loss to Liverpool. Um, so, yes, minus 14 was the worst goal difference of any team after four games. Um also, big Gary O'Neill, big up, getting that 1-0 win over Liverpool at the weekend kind of shows you how far Bournemouth have come. Uh, but it would be one thing to get sacked once in a season, another thing to get sacked twice. 
If you missed this, he took over at Club Brugge, um, who obviously had done so well in the Champions League. Um, after 12 games, hadn't gone well. Um, so, yeah, two wins from 12. They were dumped out 5-1 by Benfica. Um, they'd just lost 3-0 to relegation-threatened Oosterland. Um, They had Thierry Ambrose. He was a pace merchant for me in a, and an ex-West Brom player, actually, for a little bit. But, uh, yeah, a pace merchant for me in the old FIFA days. Um, he won two, drew five, lost three in the league. They were 19 points off the pace um, at the top and only one point in the playoff places. It works slightly weirdly in uh, Belgium. You actually play a playoff to win the league. So Brugge are the current champions despite not finishing top last season. Uh, so yeah, after three months, he was sacked. And my note just for discussion here, John says, he speaks well, seems to play some okay football, but I'm not sure he can actually coach at a level above the talent he has. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's all fair. He dresses very nicely as well, in fairness to him. So you can add that to his CV. It seems strange that he got a he got a Champions League um, club at the stage where he's at. He seems like he's a step above the championship in terms of quality of manager, but he just hasn't been able to really do it within the Premier League. Whether they pull the trigger a little bit early at the time, we thought maybe so, but Gary O'Neill's done an incredible job, I think, since coming in. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a tricky one because... Young English managers will he will get another chance in the Premier League based on what he's done for Fulham and for Bournemouth in the Championship. It's just you know it will be a fifteenth, fourteenth, and below club. So can he put up a better relegation battle than what he's done in previous seasons within the Premier League? We would like to hope so. He comes very, very highly recommended by some other uh, coaches who who went through the training badges with him or went through the coaching badges with him. So I think he will get another opportunity. I would just be surprised if it was with the Champions League club again. Yeah, definitely not Champions League is his current level. Um, I'm afraid. It uh, doesn't mean he can't get back there again. But yeah, likely likely for something in the Championship, I think, for Mr. Parker. Um, so hit me with your next choice, please, John. Yeah, I'm, I'll probably go for the club that he'll be at next, and it'll probably be within the next two weeks, and that's Watford who's next on my list. Um, they continue to go around and just sack managers for the fun of it. They've sacked two managers already this season, um, Edwards and Slavin Bilic, which means that they've now had 17 managers in just over 10 years, which is just mental for a football club that continues to find themselves in the Premier League every other season. In the words of Roy Keane, it's nonsense. You can't continue to go around hiring every manager possible to take over your football club to get that new manager bump for three months and then all of a sudden they'll put out a statement with that same corner flag which is the same corner flag used to announce every manager sacking and 15 minutes later a new manager has been appointed at Watford um, I say it's their third manager of the season with Chris Wilder wouldn't be shocked to see him go before the end of the season as well with the club sitting in 11th just four points outside the playoffs at this point no one wants to see them back in the Premier League and it's a very candid approach. No one wants to see them back in the Premier League. And I would probably label them as one of the worst club, worst run clubs in English football. And that's some going based on some other conversations that we've had in the past. But they sort of had the likeable factor for the last few years with, you know, the Ben Foster effect and the goalie, you know, the GoPro and the goal type of thing where everyone was wanted to see them get back to the Premier League. 
with that not there anymore, with the continued you know, regime of sacking managers, every opportunity that they can get, it's the sort of thing you'd prefer to see them in League One than in the Premier League anytime soon. Yeah, difficult one. Uh, Watford are kind of like a budget Chelsea, or certainly a budget Chelsea under Abramovich. They, uh, yeah, it is their style and it worked for them. So it's somewhat hard to criticise because they certainly seem to stay in the Premier League for longer than their talent level probably deserved. But yeah, it's, uh, God, if Parker does go and they have four in a season, that is really some pushing it. And I'm surprised managers um, who, like Wilder, has a good CV still. I know it's not worked out for him in his last place, but um, yeah, I'm surprised managers want to go for that job at the minute. Yeah, I think that's that's generally the only thing. Next time round is the Managers Association put out a statement just saying no one's taking the job unless they get at least 12 months. You know, there must be a contractual agreement that you give them at least 12 months, which will never happen, right? But I'm shocked that, you know, managers with good reputation continue to go there with the understanding that they will get sacked and their reputation will be somewhat down a level. But I think it's getting to the point now where people understand that you go to Watford, you're there for three to six months and you get the decent payday to get sacked. We've seen that with, you know, there is no stigma around giving jobs to former Watford managers, as we've seen with, you know, Javi Gracia for Leeds. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with Chris Wilder. I feel like the Middlesbrough stint was bad enough to ensure that he his next job is around mid-table on the championship towards the lower end. And whether he can get some form of success with Watford, we'll wait and see. But my expectation, and if I was a betting man, I would say he'll last no longer than six months. Yeah, shockingly, I don't think you're getting brilliant odds on that. Um, <laughs> okay, my next pick is someone that people may not actually be aware of. Um, it kind of depends what football sources you follow and things. Uh, but certainly, if you've seen much online content, he's got his own channel. He's He features prevalently. He has done on things like the kickoff. Um, he has on some Sky Sports uh, online content. It's a guy called Rory Jennings. Um, so he's kind of a YouTube football pundit. Um, yeah. And if howlers could be a thing, this is actually a while, a, a wider shout for football. Certainly we've not always done some of the cleverest shouts. Um, but now football is so much commentary before the fact. And so, well, there is plenty after as well. Um, but it always seems like there's a new story and something new to talk about that, we don't really give time for things sometimes, um, which means you can end up looking like you're having an absolute stinker. And this guy has had some of the worst calls ever this year. Um, I've got three of them. I didn't even need to Google these. These were all ones I did, that just stick in my mind. So the first is that Erling Haaland being the top scorer in the Premier League would be disrespectful to the establishment and that 15 goals would be a success for him this season. Uh, the fact that he's already got 28, um, we'll, let, we'll leave that one there. Um, he then said that Welbeck should be in the England squad and is a brilliant player um, and actually should be starting games for England at the World Cup. Um, he has two goals this year, Danny Welbeck, uh, and he's actually only in Brighton's team 54% of the time. And the third one was that Diego Costa was a brilliant buy for Wolves um, when he signed, I think they got him on a free at around September, October time. Um, 
And yeah, basically Wolves would zoom up the table because they now had the beast that was Diego Costa and he was going to score lots of Premier League goals. Yeah, you need to give Rory a bit of a break. <laughs> I think this is the fourth or fifth time we've mentioned Rory Jennings on this podcast. Um, but they are some absolutely howler guesses or predictions for the season. And I've, But I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't mind Rory Jennings at all. I think uh, some of his points are very out there. Um, I think he puts himself out there very much in terms of he opens himself up for this type of criticism based on the type of predictions that he makes. He does, he's part of a new podcast himself, which, you know, will actually be somewhat plugging here in terms of the club with uh, Adam McCullough and a fellow who spouts the biggest pilot nonsense you'll ever hear and a guy called Boovy. So he actually comes across like the seeing one in those three and he speaks the most truth. I actually don't mind McCullough at times, but um, I don't mind Roy Jennings, but it's very, very difficult to argue against the fact that those types of predictions have been horrendously bad this year, but he'll continue to make more. So it'll be interesting to see how he ranks in terms of his predictions for next season. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting to see if he takes stock and stuff. And look, like I'm not pretending that I watched Diego Costa in Brazil or something coming over, but his time towards the end of Africa, that that's the one that is actually the worst. Well, maybe the Haaland one, because like how brilliant does a player have to be? Um, I know we say that there's Bundesliga attacks and things, but you look at his Champions League record and it would have told you that he could do it over here. Um, but yeah, Diego Costa had not been a good player for a very long time. Um, yeah. So yeah, pretending that he was still the Chelsea um, Diego Costa and the first half of the Chelsea, he didn't even have a good back half of his time as a Chelsea player. Um, yeah, just struck as uh, not not doing enough research before you go on a podcast. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, you you say that you didn't watch Diego Costa when he was in Brazil, and I can say for a fact, I don't think Rory Jennings did either, because it's, I think he's playing as well as he is for Wolves, and um, and that's sort of saying something at this point. Definitely. Um, so yeah, talking of brilliant research, though, please hit me with your next pick. My next pick, Nathan Jones, the be- one of the best attacking managers in European football in his own words possibly my pick of this whole list in that I have to say I genuinely think he got himself sacked by a press conference Um, only took charge of Southampton for 14 games this season Southampton are not a Watford type club who will sack a manager after a short period of time just for the sake of it he absolutely deserved to get the sack I think everyone was fed up with him at the end of it you know, if you look after he got sacked after the 14 games, the likes of Ashley Williams, who had been managed by Nathan Jones at Stoke, sort of absolutely battered him in the press, saying that he had no ability to manage senior players. Um, All he did when he was at Stoke was talk about his time at Luton. And funnily enough, I believe that's what got him sacked at Southampton, was the press conference where he came out and started stating about with his time at Luton, with a limited budget, he was one of the best attacking football managers in European football. And it's like, mate, you're struggling at Southampton. You've scraped a few decent wins in recent weeks. But I think the overall thought thought of his time at Southampton and what he had done in the first number of games is that he wasn't at that level. We very quickly called it um, on over the top football that Nathan Jones wasn't the calibre of manager that Southampton should have went for. 
And I think after some of those press conferences where he was just coming across delusional and out of his depth and was very, very... I remember watching the the, the interview in the press conference and not knowing whether I respected it or not. And then I rewatched it and just thought he was a bit of a, a numpty. So he goes to the very, very top of my list in terms of he's embarrassed himself to the point I do not predict he will ever be a Premier League manager ever again at the age of 49. Um, he's back playing in the 12th tier of football for Cranbourne FC as a left back. So I don't know if he's got any plans to be back as a manager um, anytime soon. But yeah, the only time I potentially could see him as a Premier League manager again is if he gets a club from the Championship promoted. But if it's the likes of a Watford, then he'll only be in the Premier League for two weeks or three weeks again. So I'd be shocked to see him back. But I think he's he's burnt all of his own bridges uh, with some of the stuff that he came out and said as a Southampton manager. Yeah, he just seems so unlikable. Um, I remember us, yeah, saying in and around the time that he he's got to go soon, even though it had only been about four Premier League games. He just just struck you as miserable, as deluded. Um, yeah, really uh, bad season for him. Certainly, certainly qualifies for the list, and probably one of the best shouts so far. Taking things a little international again. Um, I have Sevilla. So if you actually look at the table this week, uh, they're not as big a pick as they were last week. So last week they were 17th with 26 points from 25 games and only out of the relegation zone um, on goal difference above Cadiz. Um, they were actually going for the title at Christmas time last year. Um, they ended up finishing fourth in 21 22. Um, but yeah, they certainly looked really, really good in the first half of that year. So they've had kind of a bit of a gradual decline um they're now 13th on 29 points so that win at the weekend has climbed them a few places in the table um and actually under Jorge Sampaoli who I think is quite a nice progressive coach um potentially they can climb up the league a bit um more they have Brian Hill as well who's actually seemingly doing quite well there on loan so um yeah they have a slight change up in things there but yeah this was a lesson in um, when you have a good year and you have some of your brightest talents picked from you, you've got to think about how you do it. So um, they lost uh, Carlos and Kunde, their two leading centre-backs in the summer, um, and replaced them with youth, including um, from Bayern Munich, I believe, Nianzu. Um, he's kept two clean sheets in 17 games this year. Um, so, yeah, that hasn't worked at the back um, losing two kind of experienced international defender quality um, picks. And then up top as well. So this was part of a problem with Lopetegui, um, but 29 goals in 25 games. Ocampus, one goal in 11 games. Papu Gomez, one goal, one assist in 13. Suso, 14 games, one goal, zero assists. Rafa Mir, last year's top goal scorer, three goals. It's pretty bleak looking and they've definitely played some pretty turgid football at times. Um, they're massively undershooting their XG. Yeah, a very poor season for Sevilla and it's now got to be about trying to finish in the top 10 and claiming something for their season. Yeah, it's not a bad shout. There's probably a few clubs in La Liga that you could have picked and you might pick still, but hasn't been to the heights that we've seen with Sevilla, especially with the success in the Europa League in recent years. You expect a little bit more in terms of free flow and football and you know the level managers with Lopetegui with 
Emery in recent years as well. You expect more from them as a football club, but the only thing I would say is there seems to be at least a bit of a strategy in terms of giving younger players opportunities when they come around. So I wouldn't fully knock them for that. And they might be going through a bit of a you know, a transition period at the minute. So if they did finish within the top 10 within La Liga, I don't know how bad of a season that would be. I'm sure their fans would disagree, but bigger picture could play out beneficial to them in the long term. But yeah, I think they've taken the place in this list and they probably deserve to be there. Yeah, it's a big it's a big drop off. And I feel like football sometimes is a bit of a PR game. If you gave it the big one at the start of the season saying like, look, this is a transitional season. Look who we're blooding. Look like what we're trying to do. I think fans would understand that. But mm. yeah, um, unfortunately, they obviously haven't said that. You don't you don't sell season tickets off the back of, oh, this is going to be transitional football. You need to kind of sell a big, exciting project and your best finish ever and things. Um, and yeah, I don't know. At the, at the moment, the number one thing they need to do is get enough points to avoid being relegated. And they're definitely not there yet. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it'd be, be interesting to see how the rest of their season goes. But um, I saw a picture with a top-off Eric Lamella celebrating a goal uh, recently, so that brought a smile to my heart. Nice, nice. All right, um, we'll not, you know, stay in around the fact that you you love a topless photo of Eric Lamella, and we'll get straight into my last pick, and that is know. Cristiano Ronaldo. And I have to, I do have to caveat it by saying I think it's the wider Cristiano Ronaldo team in terms of his advisors would be the one that I would add to this list rather than Cristiano himself. But he comes as a bit of a brand, right? So that's why he's in here as a whole, but it is everyone around him. Because in terms of there's a number of embarrassing moments for Ronaldo this season in terms of when he's let himself down, when he's clearly went against his word, when there's clearly been a lack of opportunity for him elsewhere. But... You do have to caveat it by saying he, he did have a significant loss in the summer that nobody talks about at this point. And I think a lot of people thought, you know, the week off or two weeks off that United gave him would be enough to get over that. But it certainly is not. And I think a lot of that comes down to, you know, the lack of time and privacy to really grieve some of his losses. So that's why I want to caveat that before I get into battering him and his team with the rest of the statements. Um, But the fact of the matter is, you know, even with those in mind, he was playing for a Manchester United team on 500 grand a week as a 37-year-old striker and stropping off like a child, you know, down the tunnel before the end of the games finished, was setting an awful example for the young players coming through, the likes of Garnacho, who United have come out many times and said about he had some form of attitude issues. You know, you should be then looking for someone like Ronaldo to be stepping up and putting an arm around the shoulder and showing him how it's done. But a lot of the time, the attitude that was publicly visible for everybody else to see was very, very poor, whether it was stropping down the tunnel before the end of the game, um, whether it was walking off without applauding fans or shaking hands. His overall demeanor, while as a United player this season, was very, very poor. And that got completely topped off with the decision to do an interview with Pierce Morgan, where he um, sort of automatically signed his release forms from Manchester United by you know stating that he wanted to compete at the highest level, he wanted to compete within Champions League football because he believed that he could still help a top, top club 
and play for a long time at the highest international international level. You know, the quote from Piers Morgan during that interview was, you know, if it was all about the money, you'd be in Saudi Arabia earning the king's ransom. But that's not what motivates you, in which he just responded, exactly. And a month later, he signed in Saudi Arabia for Al-Nazir. And on top of that, the cherry on top, he's playing against effectively part-timers in a level that's probably on par with the nation, the National League. And I actually think I'm being unfair to the National League by saying that. And he's scoring penalties um, and he's d- doing the Sioux celebration. And um, it just sort of, you know, if you're scoring a worldly, I'll let you away with it. But if you're scoring a penalty where you blast it down the middle and then you do it, wind your neck in a little bit, big man. And um, bring yourself back down to earth and realize that Messi's still doing it at the highest level, winning a World Cup and doing it for PSG. So I'm just sad how it turned out for him. I think, you know, I, I do feel really sorry for him. I think it is the team around him. I mean, who advised him to do the Pierce Morgan interview? Nobody. Like, who in their right mind has advised him to do that and allow him to do it? So I do think it's his wider team that is who I'm, you know, struggling with uh, because I understand, you know, I, I couldn't imagine the loss that he went through earlier in the summer and being thrown straight back into the sort of a media mess because I don't think United really helped them out in the summer with all of that. You know, they could have supported him a little bit more, I think. They could have protected him a little bit more. But resulting in that, I don't think he's helped himself a lot of the time. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I feel like he just went and did the um, Piers Morgan interview. I think there were noises coming out at Man United saying they were quite surprised that it was happening. So I wouldn't have been surprised to see that he kind of just went and did that by himself. Um, yeah. in term- my, point though, my point though was he definitely has his own personal team around him. Yeah, that's true. Do you know what I mean? Who's advising him? Like, where's his agent and all of this? Like, who's saying to him, you probably shouldn't do Pierce Morgan because that will end up in you not playing for Manchester United anymore. And- well, f- funnily enough, um, I actually, well, the Saudi Arabian League for a start um, is ranked below the Brazilian Division 4 League. So that will tell you all you need to know about the competitiveness there. Um, But I actually feel like the Piers Morgan interview was somewhat deliberate. I remember watching a James Olcott uh, video about it at the time. And Man United wanted money to let him go, Mm. at which point nobody was prepared to do that. Obviously, the fact that he ended up in um, Saudi Arabia at all kind of tells you um yeah how wanted he was so nobody wanted him for money he no longer wanted to stay at man united wasn't playing um and respect to him for that as well because he could have just collected that wage sitting on the bench he clearly didn't want to do that so yeah he was still getting some game time i mean a week before he did this interview he was wearing the captain's armband for united in a competitive game so it's the type of thing Again, comes back to the agents. You don't let him do it unless you've got a club ready to go to sign him on a free transfer when he does get released. But they didn't have that. Like he's stating about wanting to play Champions League football and wanting to break records in the Champions League and saying that if he wanted to do it for money, he would go to Saudi Arabia or the Middle East. And he's completely went against himself within the space of two weeks to a month. My thing is, again, if you want to advise him to do that to to get United to release you rather than trying to get a bidding war for a 38-year-old striker. That makes sense. But line up the move before you go and do the, the interview. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, 
a sad end. Um, but I have a I have a weird feeling that history will look better on that for Ronaldo than um, it does right now. Obviously, some United fans have kind of said get rid of his club legend status and things. Um, but yeah, others will kind of say, oh look, he's calling out the Glazers for poor lack of facility and stuff. I'm glad somebody said it. Mm-hmm. Um, Lingard in his diary of a CEO pointed to a couple of things. He said kind of Ronaldo was completely right. I think Ronaldo's painted himself as selfish and all the rest of it, but possibly will look somewhat as a martyr in the long term. Yeah, I think 95% of the interview was fine. Like he was calling out what was there. Like you're still calling out things that you're probably going to get released for, but factually he's probably calling out the right people around the club to get what he's wanting but five percent of it just made him come across like a bit of an idiot and that's the five percent that i'm talking about yeah fair enough it was definitely uh yeah one of the more explosive interviews we're likely to see in our in our time so we'll move on to the final to the final suggestion and i can hear fans saying oh this is a salty pick because we did lose one nil to them the other week um and it is but also, you can understand why this is embarrassing and why uh, the club, if the club are to move on and upwards, uh, they really need to do better than this. And it is the Wolverhampton striker department. Um, so during that Spurs game, they said on the commentary um, that a Wolves forward, a Wolves centre forward had not scored a goal in one year in the Prem. Um, so they have 19 goals this see- this year, 27 points from 19 goals as well. They play just horrendous football. Um, 28.5 expected goals, so they are creating much more than their output suggests, um, but that's 0.73 goals per game. Um, obviously, you've got Matias Nunes, who is tipped for big things, but he has one assist this year because he doesn't play with a forward who can actually score. Um We're doing lots of nice linking with this pick as well. So Diego Costa mentioned him earlier. Zero goals off 14 games in the Premier League. Looks off the pace. Matias Cunha, um, good signing. Lots of money. A Lopetegui buy, who obviously was at Sevilla, who was my last pick. Um, Not really a centre forward. Even his goal record at Atletico Madrid wasn't um, outstanding. Eight appearances, zero goals. Um, Kalajdzic obviously was the big buy in the summer. Um, he got very unlucky, injured in his very first game he played for the club. Um, when he comes back, if he can get back to fitness, I've got high hopes for him. He looks a really proper centre forward. Um, and Jimenez, obviously this is unfortunate. I'm not going to batter him, but he's on well over 100k a week now. Um, it's probably a legend at Wolves, actually. Certainly a modern one, um, but zero goals this year. He hasn't scored over six in the league since 1920. Obviously, never quite been the same since his head injury. Um, Lopetegui hasn't fixed the curse of larger, despite better results and going up the table. And if this has been embarrassing for Wolves' striker department overall, they scored three against Liverpool, John. Yeah, I don't want to discuss it. <laughs> I, I think that says more about our defence than it does about their, their forward line. Um. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think the Wolves striking department has needed a refresh for a while. You did discuss, obviously, the striker came in last summer and got injured. But you look at the clubs potentially going down. I mean, they could take a risk on some of the players. You know, the, we could see back in the championship. I mean, someone like Dominic Solanke would probably fit with what Wolves are looking to do. 
I would expect Lopetegui to keep them up. I think he's doing a good job with limited attacking resource because we've talked about, you know, Sarabia's come in, looks a good player. Nunes is there, very good player. We've talked about Neves before, you know, very, very top end of sentiment fielders in the Premier League, in my opinion. Even the likes of Craig Dawson, I thought was a great sign, just solidifying that defence a little bit more to ensure that even with the lack of attacking prowess that they have today, they can keep themselves as solid as possible with a no-nonsense defender back there. So I think it's a solid pick. I think it, but it's it's been an area that they've needed to address for a while because we know that, you know, Traore isn't the long-term answer based on the end product there. Um, Pedro Neto is, is injury-prone. He, he has been for the last few seasons and it's not someone you can rely upon to play every week. But when he does play, he's very, very good. You could see Marius Cunha, you know, filling in on the left-hand side whenever they do get an out-and-out centre-forward. But it's when and will that player be banging in the goals because cost is not the answer. Definitely not. Um, Jimenez, unfortunately, just hasn't been the same player as you've discussed following that incident against Arsenal. So it's where do they go from here? Do they need one? Do they need two? I mean, do they go for someone like, you know, Veghorst in the summer if he's available? Do they go for someone like Dominic Solanke if he's available? Do they go for someone like Mikel Antonio, um, who's fallen in the packet order at West Ham, or someone like Skamaka who's not getting a game at all for West Ham? So there's there's numerous answers that they there's numerous players that they could go for. It's who Lopetegui will add to, but I, they do need an out and out centre forward who will bag them twelve to fifteen goals minimum per season. Um, so you're you're absolutely spot on, and they've been in the Premier League long enough for. To not have that player by now, it's sort of, you know, there's there's no, you can't forgive them for it. They've been there long enough. They are a proven Premier League club now. And they made some questionable decisions in the summer and not adding to the striker department further is probably top of that list. Yeah, it's it's one of those, like, they, they have the money. They spent 45 on Nunez. I know that was um, largely offset by the sale of Morgan Gibbs-White, but... Um, they are not a poor club. Um, they've been in Europe, obviously, in recent seasons. And I think to progress, they kind of now just need that that player who can actually get them a reliable goal output. Um, that's the way they're going to... Their defence is very decent. So that's the way they're going to um, kind of look at the top end of the league again rather than the bottom. So, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. I, I would suggest what they do in the summer is, if they can, get rid of Costa, get rid of Jimenez, and whilst you wait for Kalajdzic, because he's, I think he'll be able to train in pre-season next summer, but he's going to take a long time to get up to speed. So what I would do is I'd try and get minimum one striker and possibly get another one as a loan signing. Um, and then you can try and play back into a bit, a bit like what Diego Costa was supposed to be for this year. Um, you can try and, yeah, work things out from there. So... Unfortunate for Wolves. Um, yeah, there's definitely more they can get in terms of output from the likes of a Traore, uh, from the likes of Neto and Cunha. Um, but yeah, a work in progress, certainly. Maybe embarrassing was a tad harsh, but not having a striker score a goal for a year, despite playing one every game, really did seem like it uh, fit the criteria for our list. So, John, um, just to recap, on this one um if there was any of mine who you thought was a good pick uh for this criteria who would you pick remind me of your five again very quickly then so we had barcelona scott parker rory jennings Sevilla, and the wolverhampton striker department 
I do quite like him, but I'm going to have to give it to Scott Parker. I thought he overachieved by getting the Brugge job and you were sort of willing him to do well and be a success there to prove everybody wrong by saying he couldn't do it in the Premier League yet and um, he just didn't. So I think he probably has to go there. But I think the Barcelona one for me is top in that they've done so much bad you know, commercial business, you would say, questionable rather than bad because we don't know the long-term effects, but it feels like they sold their soul for short-term success. And it now looks as if they've shot themselves in the foot based on long-term payments. So it'll be interesting to see what the future holds for Barcelona in the next three to four years based on the decisions that they've made this summer and in previous summers um, and what impact that will have moving forward. So I think Scott Parker would be my silver medal and I think I would give the gold medal to Barcelona in this instance for your picks. Nice. And from yours, I'm uh, I'm definitely having Nathan Jones, uh, world's world's grumpiest and most delusional man for sure. Um, okay, nice. So yeah, that that ends another episode. Um, obviously, pleasure doing these as always. John, if the people enjoyed this one, what can they do? Go straight to the socials. Um, follow us on Instagram. Follow us on TikTok. We'll be putting more content out over the next few weeks, and we'll be interacting with the listeners a little bit more to get some additional. Uh, ideas around future content Uh, most importantly as always if you could take some time to click that share button send it to some friends family football groups whatever it might be uh, that would be greatly appreciated you know every new listener who listens to us every week um, is massively beneficial for us moving forward so we can't thank you enough and if you could take a few seconds as well just to rate us on spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts that would be greatly appreciated as well Anything you want to add, Rob? No, couldn't have said it better myself. Um, Until next time, we have been over the top football. Cheers, John. Cheers, Rob. Speak soon. Bye.